so uh, I think it's actually been pretty crazy, personally, for me. Uh, May, I've been, uh, like Daryl said, to like every graduation party possible, but if you can't remember what series we're on, I don't blame you. Uh, we've <laughs> kind of been up and down with Mother's Day and all that kind of stuff, so two weeks ago, I believe, Daryl started a series off about the Trinity called Divine Community. He used a bunch of graphics. Uh, I should have one actually up here in just a second. Yeah, he used a bunch of graphics, uh, you know, like the one you see here. And the, this graphic, like Daryl explained, like it doesn't necessarily represent a perfect picture of what the Trinity is. But he's like, you know, this one's kind of close, you know. Don't take it to heart because you could be heretical if you do. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm only here tonight to muddy the waters even more. Uh, if you weren't confused enough last, last week, uh, we're going to get into some even more complex topics. So buckle up for that. Uh, last week, Dar or two weeks ago, Daryl talked about the Father uh, as he was talking about the Godhead in general, right? When I say the Godhead, it's, it's another word for the Trinity, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And at the end, he kind of focused in on God. And I, I did take some notes. So he told us that God, the Father, is independent, spiritual, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. And the different members of the Trinity, they all serve different primary functions, but all work together to achieve the same goal. So they're all doing different things, but it's all towards one goal, unified goal. We also talked about uh, this being true in, like, creation, right? So, like, the Father was the one who, like, wanted it to happen, like, and then Jesus, like, the Word, he made it happen, and the Spirit came and hovered over the waters, right? He blessed what was happening. So all three are involved in this process. And we said the same thing about salvation, right? Like, the Lord desires that no one, like, would go to hell, right? So, like, he sent his only son in order to do that. But God sent, Jesus obeyed, right? The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. They all play roles in the same thing, uh, same goal. And so, yeah, like, they're all emphasizing different roles of the tasks. And Daryl's main point last week, uh, he kind of ended with this, was that the one who saves us completely is completely God. So I hope we don't get too deep into heresy tonight. Daryl told me he has, like, a red flag to wave around every time I say something heretical. But we will see. Um... I do hope it's, I would say it's pretty vital for us to understand some of these concepts. And I, I'm not going to sit up here and pretend like I have everything about the Trinity figured out. Uh, anybody who's like, yeah, I got this magic formula, like, they're lying. They don't understand. So I'll do my best uh, not to confuse you as I don't confuse myself. We do have a ton to get through, so I do promise to try to be quick. Um, otherwise, it, it, it could be a bit of a snooze fest. I did have to cut this really cool story about Santa Claus punching a heretic in the face. Uh, but anyway, sorry, it's just that we have a lot to get through. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, uh, thank you so much just for this uh, opportunity to come and speak to these students. Uh, God, maybe for the last time for some of them. And I just pray that uh, as everybody gets ready for summer and all the fun things they're going to do, that, uh, God, just this one last night, student night, before we hit the summer schedule, God, that we can just focus in on what it is you have for us, that, that we can really truly study you and it not feel like a textbook, God, but somebody that we care deeply about and want to get to know better. So God, I just pray that you'll reveal yourself to us uh, through your word and through this message. In your name I pray, amen. So, today's date, what's today? Anybody shout it out. 21st, May 21st of what? 2023? Yes, thank you, Drew. <laughs> 2023, right? 2023 of what? Uh, now, I hope you guys all realize that pretty much all of human history is measured by the amount of time before Jesus and after Jesus. Everybody realizes that, right? We, we say, like, common era in school now, but 
either way, there was a significant event that happened around that time, you know, where it switched from BC to, uh, yeah, well, sorry, Common Era, BCE and CE. So, yeah, but the most significant person in all of human history was born, and he also happened to be the Son of God. And I can hardly think of a more interesting person that's ever lived. You know, you always get that question, like, if you could go back and have, like, dinner with any person who, alive or dead, like, is there a better answer than Jesus? Like, seriously, like, every single thing that he says is so interesting. And it's like, okay, I'm going to have to, like, sit here and process this Jesus for a while. So, I mean, if you want your money's worth, I would suggest Jesus. And yet he is a God-made flesh who for ages had been nearly approachable, unapproachable, right? Like, if you guys remember back to the story of Moses, like, the people of Israel, they didn't want to go near the mountain. Like, God's at the top of the mountain. They're like, if I get too close to this mountain, I'm probably going to die. He was nearly unapproachable. And when Moses would go up, right, he'd, his face would be shining when he'd come back down just because he'd been close to God. And now we have this, this new character that appears named Emmanuel or God with us. And this miracle of what I'm going to call the enfleshment of God, it's what we uh, are actually known as the incarnation. So it's a big fancy theological word for God taking on flesh. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. And so my first question here for you guys is what can we know about Jesus? And I would say the most interesting thing for me would be the mind-bending reality of the incarnation. That's where I want to start. So I have a few quotes. Uh, I probably can't read them all, but my goodness, I found some really cool stuff. And honestly, like as I was reading through these, it got me really excited about the incarnation. So if you hear these and you're just like, what, why would Nick get excited about this? I guess I'm just a nerd, but let's start with St. Augustine. Everybody heard of this guy? Okay, here's what he said about the incarnation. He says, man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, and that life might die. That's a powerful statement about the incarnation. Uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, Tolkien. I, I really enjoy Lord of the Rings. I don't care. If you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, I don't get it. But anyways, so... There's this quote where Tolkien was writing to another author, and he talked about how difficult it was to write this character, Gandalf. And he's saying, Gandalf faced and suffered death and came back, or was sent back, as he says, with enhanced power. But though one may be reminded of this in the Gospels, it's not really the same thing at all. The incarnation of God is an infinitely greater thing than anything I would dare to write. Here, I'm only concerned with death as part of the nature, physical, and spiritual of man, and with hope without guarantees. Basically, Tolkien's like, as good as an author you might think I am, I wouldn't try to write something as crazy as the Incarnation. Uh, I, I gave Jonah a book uh, by J.I. Packer. This is his quote about the Incarnation. He says, The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. And honestly, I have literally like seven more quotes, but I will skip those. If you want some, come and get them. I think they're great. But I don't know if it's possible for me to overstate the importance of the first Christmas morning 
when God Almighty divested himself, got rid of his glory, and took on the form of a helpless baby. And that baby was marked for death. Right? Like that's, that's the story that we celebrate at Christmas. And the question for us becomes, are we aware of these significance? Throughout the scriptures, but especially in Hebrews, the author makes it clear that if Christ had not been born as man, his death would have no power over our sin. So if you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, or it's, it should be on the screen, uh, starting in verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For him, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So the miracle of Jesus is that we don't need to ascend Mount Sinai to go see God. He descends the mountain to meet with us in the grime, right? As we're worshiping our golden calves, God comes down from the mountain and lives among us. In Isaiah 7.14, the next scripture I have for you says here, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And obviously, like, I hope you guys know this, but God... With us, that's, that's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And the incarnation is a unique event in all of human history that tells us that Jesus wants to be with us and he wants to be our friend. That's the significance. We can also learn a lot about Jesus from the Old Testament, though. And so I want us to look at the Old Testament theophanies. Another big fancy word, I'm going to explain it. So theo means God, and I, I don't know the Greek word for phanies, but that's talking about appearing. So it's a God appearing. God is appearing in the Old Testament, okay? So I have a list of some for you. I don't have it on the screen, but I just want to list out some events and help you guys understand that Jesus is in the Old Testament as well. And so in Genesis 18, uh, we read this story about three men who come to Abraham, and one of them is identified as the Lord. In Genesis 32, uh, Jacob was wrestling with a man, right, until daybreak, and he later identifies this guy he wrestled with as God. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses encounters the burning bush and speaks with God. Later in Exodus 23, God promised to send his angel before the Israelites who bears God's name and authority. I think my favorite one is actually in Joshua chapter 5. It's just before the fall of Jericho. And if you guys don't read like Old Testament books like Joshua, there's some really fun stuff in there. So Joshua is about to go to Jericho and they're, they're going to tear down the city. But before he goes... The commander of the Lord's army appears to Joshua. Now, some people would like be like, oh, is that an angel? Well, no, because Joshua falls down in worship at the angel. And if you know anything about angels, anytime they start getting worshipped when they're not supposed to be, they're like, hey, wait, time out. Like, that's not me. Worship God. Commander of the army of the Lord goes like, yep. Like, right, this is right. And so, yeah, I think like these are, there's certain times in the Old Testament where we see Jesus appear. In uh, Judges chapter 13, the appearance of the angel of the Lord to Samson's parents, and they announced the birth of Samson. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah's vision of the Lord sitting on a throne with seraphim and angels praising him. 
and then Daniel, we have a couple of uh, appearances as well. Uh, but most specifically, you guys would remember like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go in the, the furnace, and all of a sudden there's a fourth person there, right? It's just Jesus. Sorry, spoiler alert. So it's not a complete list. I hope you guys understand this, but it always boggles my mind that Jesus is like popping up in, like, in the Old Testament. And this is happening before the incarnation. So again, this is really hard for me to understand. But the New Testament also confirms this, like especially in John chapter 1, right? John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, right? The Word is just another name for Jesus, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he was there from the beginning. Jesus didn't all of a sudden appear. There wasn't a time where the Father and the Holy Spirit are like, hey, uh, we got to have a third person to send to earth, and then that's when Jesus came to be. That's not how this worked. Jesus is eternal. He's always been, always will be. So I asked ChatGPT, um, <laughs> seriously, I was like, can you help me understand how Jesus is appearing before he actually has his incarnation? And it has some crazy answers, but... Uh, fairly helpful because these are temporary appearings, right? Like, Jesus can do what he wants. He is God. We, I hope you understand from last week when Daryl was talking, like, Jesus is God. He can do miracles. He can do great things that we can't understand. And so temporarily, he can choose to appear in human form even if the incarnation has not taken place. And so I hope you guys understand, like, what, what is the significance of this? God did not begin caring to reach out to humanity 2,000 years ago. He did that well before, and he's been doing it ever since. He's been reaching out to us from the beginning. Next thing I want to talk to you guys about with Jesus is the role of prophet, priest, and king. Like I said, just buckle up. We're trying to go real fast here. So Jesus is distinct in his roles uh, from the other parts of the Godhead, and that he plays three important offices that were normally occupied by, like, Jewish leaders, okay? So Israel's greatest prophet was like arguably like Moses, maybe some would say Elijah, right? But both of these men did amazing things. They did really cool, crazy like miracles, amazing signs and wonders, but both failed to re reveal more about God than Jesus did. And I, I hope you guys understand that's what prophecy is. It's revealing truth about God. So like I think a lot of us think of like Harry Potter, like little like crystal ball and like seeing the future. There's some future telling involved in prophecy from time to time, because if God wants to reveal the truth about the future, then that could be prophetic, and he does that. But it's not all about future stuff. And so, again, Jesus fulfills this office better than anyone in Israel's history. And next we talk about the office of priest. Now, this was usually, again, you guys got to get in the uh, Bible, read some Old Testament. Um, there was the office that's occupied by the Levites, right? And so the only Levites, that's a tribe of Israel, could become priests. And then there would be one high priest selected, right? And so here's the thing about the high priest is Jesus was better than any previous high priest. And it, Hebrews really goes into detail on this. But essentially what the author of Hebrews says is, hey, guess what? Your best high priest, uh, he's sinful. He has to pay for his own sins, right? He has to go get a, a, a bull or a goat, whatever it is they're going to sacrifice to cleanse his own sins before he can deal with yours. And then, like, I hope he doesn't have a bad thought on the way to deal with yours because he's just not ready to deal with yours, right? And also, guess what? Your high priest, he's going to die. He can't live forever. But that's not true of Jesus, right? He's, he's the spotless lamb of God who knew no sin, and he sacrificed himself once, one time. We don't have to keep going back to the temple, like, rivers of blood being spewed for, for all these sins. 
Jesus' blood was enough, right? And so Jesus did this for us. He's the, he's the high priest that we need. His blood is the only thing that has real power to forgive us our sins, something the blood of all those Old Testament animals just pointed to. They didn't actually save anyone of any sins. Pointed to Jesus. And finally, the office of king. Looking back, Israel had quite a few kings. Uh, it actually can be pretty exhausting trying to keep up with it as you read through the Old Testament, but very few that Israel could really be proud of. Um, perhaps the best of them all was maybe David. Uh, he's a pretty cool guy, a man after God's own heart. But David, great as he was, like, he, right, he wrote a lot of psalms uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, he pretty much put Israel on the map in relevance in the ancient times. But if you remember, he was pretty flawed. And he lusted after a woman. He got her pregnant. Lied to her husband, sent him off to war, got him killed. Right? It was like a whole ordeal. Not the best king. Israel's best they have to offer is not the best king. Now, his moral failure was forgiven because he repented, right? But David's not like Jesus. Jesus' rule has no moral failure, and his rule will not end. So what is so important about Jesus being a prophet, a priest, and a king? Well, we need to understand that Jesus is an authoritative figure that we can trust. Not just kind of, but fully trust. You may have thought David was a good king if you were like just a random Israelite, but Bathsheba's husband might disagree, right? In Jesus, we find a priest who we know is ceremonially pure and will not die. And in Jesus, we know that the word of God will not be distorted. So Jesus fulfills all three of these roles flawlessly and is trustworthy. And finally, the last thing I want to say about Jesus before we move on to the Holy Spirit, because like I said, we got a lot to cover. Thanks, Daryl. Mother's Day was uh, a little bit of a curveball for us. So the certainty of his second coming. That's the last thing I want to talk to you guys about Jesus here. The most unique moment in history actually has like a part two, right? So Jesus comes the first time. And he's like, hey, uh, I know you thought I was going to just like make everything better the first time. But actually, there's going to be a bit of a pause on that, and I'll be back, right, like uh, in a little bit. How long, Jesus? Uh, a little bit. So, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back. And I honestly would love to just, like, go through the Bible and just give you every scripture that tells you that. But if you just remember back to even his ascension, right? He's getting ready to leave, and the, the disciples are looking up. And then these angels appear, and they're like, hey, where are you, what are you looking for? He's going to come back just the same way he left. And this is what Titus calls our blessed hope. No matter how bad things get here on earth, we can know that Jesus is coming back to put everything right. So as great as Jesus' first coming was, and it, it was great, the world is not currently functioning the way it's meant to. Things are not going the way they ought to, and the hope for all of humanity, the things that we have no right to dare to hope, is that someday somebody will come back and make everything better. We have no right to believe that, except for the fact that Jesus told us. So as you see this world continue to fall apart, rest easy knowing that it will only bring us closer to his return. It's, again, a blessed hope. As bad as things get, the closer Jesus comes. And so nothing in this world seems to be certain but death and taxes. But to that list, I would add Jesus coming back because Jesus told us. And if Jesus told us, he can't lie. Otherwise, he's not God. So that finally, finally brings me to the Holy Spirit. So... What can we know about the Holy Spirit? 
first thing I want to talk to you guys about is Pentecost. So let's start by talking here. So basically, as Jesus was getting ready to leave, he said that he had to leave in order that he could send a helper. And that day for the church where the helper came is Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, one through four, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, I'm not going to go too far more into the story. I think most of you guys know what happened from there. But this was also a pretty unique moment in, in history. If you want to learn anything from the Old Testament, like you're going to notice that time and time again, the Jews are just unable to uphold the law. They cannot do it. Try hard like as they might. It's not going to happen. And God actually spoke to Ezekiel about this. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 36, this is what God said. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of, fle- give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God promised to send the Holy Spirit in order that people would have the ability to follow the law. The day of Pentecost was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on these believers, and it didn't end there. It's been occurring ever since. All believers have received the Holy Spirit and this new heart that it talked about in Ezekiel. And that new heart is one that's willing and able to follow God's commands. So next, this leads me to power. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Uh, look at Jesus right before he ascended. It's one of the last things he said before he went up. Acts chapter 1-8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and on all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What power is he talking about? I would say these are spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts enable us to better communicate and spread the gospel. Right? Like you see right after the Great Commission, he gives us a mission, and he's telling us the Holy Spirit's going to give us the power to do that. Now, these gifts are unique to every believer. Uh, your gift might be different than your gift, right? And, like, you might have five, you might have three. But that's okay. God just wants you to use what he's given you. And so, imagine for a moment that God saves you from the fiery judgment that you deserve and then empowers you with the ability to save others from that same fire. And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm not going to use that power. So many of us fall into this. And the excuse that you just don't know what to do or say is kind of insufficient according to this. If you have the Holy Spirit, God's given you the ability. And so if you're a Christian, you have the power given to you by the Holy Spirit to participate and help fulfill the Great Commission, spreading the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. So if you've received the Holy Spirit, right, you have the power, but then you also have presence. And I don't mean like, like Christmas presence, like his presence. Even in the Old Testament, there were moments the Holy Spirit would fall on some of God's people. Like we talked about Saul, right, in the Old Testament, when, when Saul was selected as king over Israel, the first king. It says the Holy Spirit was, was on him. And so 
I imagine that this would be kind of a similar experience that we have with the Holy Spirit, uh, but temporary. You know, he's kind of resting there for a brief moment, but he didn't receive a new heart. It's just the Holy Spirit happens to be with him. And so what is that experience that you have when you have the presence of the Holy Spirit? And for me, I would say it's overwhelming comfort and joy in God's presence. Again, this brings us back to Emmanuel, right? Jesus was God with us in the flesh, but then the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside our hearts, right? Jesus is a person you can talk to, that you can see, touch, but then the Holy Spirit is literally in you. Jesus had to leave, right? And for a time, he was contained in a body. And so, like, I'm, I'm kind of imagining, like, how difficult it might be to talk to Jesus in Jerusalem, right? There, there were crowds everywhere. Everybody wanted to talk to Jesus. And here's what I want to say. I don't want to get heretical. I can hear a red flag flying in the background. So Jesus has the ability to be omnipresent. But he doesn't do that because, again, right, we talked about he, he divested himself of some of that divinity. Not that he's less divine, but he's holding himself back in order to relate to us, right? And so, again, I don't want to be too, uh, too particular because then I could uh, say something wrong, but the Holy Spirit is a way that God could be with all of us all at the same time. And so that day will come where we will all see Jesus in the flesh, right? Like that, that day is coming. But right now, in the meantime, he sent us the Holy Spirit. He's chosen to send the Holy Spirit to be near us. And I, I hope, I really do hope that you guys have experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives. I can tell you guys confidently, there have been many times in my life where I have felt that presence in my life. And he, he draws us, right? He draws us to do certain things. He also draws us away from certain things and is like, hey, you need to repent and stop doing that. But the key thing is he's always near. And he's always praying. The Bible says that he's uttering prayers for us and groaning for our needs to the Father on our behalf. So what would you do as a Christian if all of a sudden that presence was removed from you? Would you even notice? So this leads me to my last point about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Forgotten God. It's a book that I read when I was in college. came out in 2009. And it's all about the Holy Spirit. Forgotten God. Now I'm not going to camp out on this point for very long, but I do want to read a quote or two, actually two quotes here from the book. And I'm going to try to explain. So like right in the like second paragraph of his introduction, this is written by Francis Chan. He says, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet that there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they've experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year. And here's the next part. And many of them do not believe they can. Yeah? Then he goes on to say later, uh, towards the end of the introduction, he says, I hope we can go beyond our current understanding of the Holy Spirit and begin to commune openly, that our experience with him would be day by day, even moment by moment. That by keeping in step with the Spirit, we might regularly fellowship over what he's doing rather than what he did months or years ago. We will be reminded of the strength and wisdom available to us in the spirit and earnestly pray for more. 
as we trust in the promises of the Spirit, we will be led away from discouragement and into lives marked by confidence, power in the midst of our weakness, and the fruit of the Spirit. So as the band comes up, I, I realize that I've had a lot to say about these two, these two uh, parts of the Godhead, right, the, the Trinity. But I know none of this is going to click with you guys if you haven't already made the, your heart the home for the Holy Spirit. You cannot begin to fathom what you're missing if you do not know Jesus as your king. The one who died for you and was coming back to judge the sins of the world. Perhaps God the Father seems even more distant to you than maybe your earthly father. And you can't understand the complex relationship that you can have with the triune God who is three in one. So guys, the, the title of this series is Divine Community, and that's actually going to be my last point here, is that you were created to have community with God. There is perfect unity in the Trinity. Before God created a single thing, the Father loved the Son. The Son obeyed the Father, and the Holy Spirit was blessing everything that was happening. God did not need to create any of us. He wasn't lonely. He didn't need us. But he did it in order that we could have a relationship with him that reflects the relationship they already have within the Trinity. I know that's a kind of crazy, complex thing to say. But it's part of his very nature. And what's part of his nature he wanted to reflect in his relationship with you. I, I hope you have communion with God. And if you'd like to have communion with God, I do want to give you guys one last opportunity uh, it's our last student night of the summer, uh, before summer hits, I guess. And so I want to give you this opportunity as the year comes to a close. If you'd like to have a relationship with the triune God who loves you and died for you and wants to change your heart and guide you, I do hope this will pray silently as I pray aloud. Um, again, Daryl talks about this all the time. It's not magic words, but if it's say, I'll cry your heart, like if you really mean this, like, God, I do want to have a relationship with you. I, I know I can't pay for my own sins, then open up your heart and make room for the Holy Spirit to come in. As Daryl said last week, the one who saves us completely is completely God. So guys, go ahead and bow your heads. I'm gonna pray. And again, if you, if you really do want Jesus to come into your heart, if you want to make the Holy Spirit dwell within your new heart that God wants to give you, if you wanna have a father that loves you more than you could ever imagine, Please pray with me now. God, I know that I've messed up. I know that I'm a sinner. I've gone my own way. But God, I, I want to open up my heart to you. I want to ask you to forgive me of everything that I've done. I trust in the power of the cross and what you did for me at Calvary. So God, please come into my heart. Make my heart your dwelling place. Change me and make me more like you. Guide me in everything that you want me to do. I ask this in your name. Uh, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. Again, I, I know uh, we're all kind of ready to get out of here. But if, if that's something that you did pray tonight, I would love to pray for you. I'd love to talk to you about how to get to know a little bit more about God. And so if that's something you would pray, just go ahead and slip your hand, look up at me, whatever you want to do. But I'd love to pray for you. So.
seen in. All right. I'm going to pray for us, and then we can go and get into worship. So, God, I just thank you so much tonight for what you've done, for who you are. And, God, I'm worse than David. I'm worse than Moses and Elijah and all these people, God, who we hold up, but, God, they pale in comparison to you. And so, God, I just pray that uh, as we get ready to uh, just have a good summer, kind of relax, unwind from school, uh, that we won't stray from you. Uh, that we'll begin to just continue to open up your word, uh, to spend time in fellowship with other believers and in fellowship with you. God, we were designed to be in community with you, and I ask that we'll be able to draw close to you as you draw close to us. ask all this in your name. Amen. Go and stand, guys.